Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brother Tommy. Just say a quick few words here before I get the message. A little 20 years, I've had the privilege of working with Tommy Gray. Man of integrity, man who's faithful. And I can't tell you what a joy this man. I'll deeply miss him. He's right across from me. He might laugh, I might laugh, we might share what we were laughing about. Kind of knew each other's thoughts and I just have great appreciation for him and his family. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Genesis. <clears throat> we're still looking at the goodness of God. And we've already looked at how God's goodness was shown in this creation. We saw how God's goodness was shown in the garden. And the things that he did and made in terms of provisions for his unique creation, those that he created in his own image, namely mankind. And we saw how God's goodness was challenged by the serpent last Sunday. And today we're going to look at how God's goodness is challenged by sin. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 3 and look, looking at verse 6 and reading through verse 21. It's a little lengthy, but... All of it's important to read and reread. It's at the beginning of the Bible. You know, the one thing about the book of Genesis, it lays foundations for our faith. If you don't get the foundation right, you don't get anything else right in, in your faith, in your theology, in your walk with God. Everything hinges on what you believe about God's Word and what you believe about the book of Genesis and what you believe about these things which God himself told Moses happened. A lot of times we think, well, how did Moses know these things happened? Well, because God was telling him on the mountain as he was giving him the words to write into the book of law. He was giving him the, the story. And folks, when God tells the story, it's right. There are a lot of myths and a lot of fables and a lot of other things in that day and time. And I'm always amazed at how people want to say, well, they got this from the mythology of the Sumerians or from the Babylonians. No, uh, let's, let's get this right. God said it right. They were passing down oral stories that got so distorted, even the ark was a cube that couldn't even float, you know? So if you look at this book, you realize everything about it is right and good and perfect and all the little details that we need. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Carl Menninger who was a well-known, uh, well, who was, uh, he had the well-known Menninger Clinic. But he wrote a book, it was entitled, Whatever Became of Sin?, it's a fascinating title to a book. In his book, he approaches sin from the subject and the viewpoint of medical science, of psychiatric insight, and also of theological conviction. But as I think about that question today, whatever happened to sin, that, that's a question for our present-day society. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to understand how sin challenges the goodness of God. A lot of people don't understand that there's a great connection between how you and I live our lives and what we're saying about the goodness of God. One pastor, he was visiting the city of San Francisco, and in the city he found a booklet in a hotel lobby, and the title of the booklet was, Where to Sin in San Francisco. Let's make sure our chamber never puts that about Hartzell, Amen. But in all of our efforts to try to diffuse sin, redefine sin, erase sin, whatever, we need to understand what God's Word has to say. And so let's look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and see how sin challenges the goodness 
of God. When the woman saw the tree produce fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord God said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman replied, The serpent tricked me. And I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures of the field. On your belly you will crawl, and thus you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband but he will dominate you. But to Adam he said, Because you obeyed your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, thanks to you. In painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the grain of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments from skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, now that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God expelled him from the orchard in Eden to cultivate the ground from which he had been taken. And when he drove the man out, he placed on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden angelic sentries who used the flame of a whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, as we examine this passage more carefully, I pray it'll be your Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be given and written down by Moses. Lord, that which is foundational to all of that which we believe. And yet, Lord, today may the same Spirit speak to us and give us wisdom and insight and understanding as, Lord, only you can, that our minds, our hearts, our will, our emotions, and every part of our being, Lord, would not only receive but submit to your word and to its truth. Now, Lord, I pray today you will do your great work in this place so that there's someone here today who has yet to receive the covering which you provide through your son Jesus for sin. Then, Lord, today I pray that today there'd be those who would respond in faith, turning from sin and turning to a Savior who can not only forgive them of their sins, but, Lord, wash those sins away by the shed blood on the cross. 
So, Lord, would you do your great work in this place today, and we'll be careful to praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this passage of Scripture, how is God's goodness challenged by sin? We're going to see several ways in which that can happen for just a few moments. First off, God's goodness is challenged by the cause of sin. What is the cause of sin in this story? Well, it's the same cause that we find throughout the Bible. It's the same cause that Satan tried to use and implement against Jesus. It's the same thing that John talks about, as we're going to see in just a moment. But this story lists three things that led the woman to take of the forbidden fruit. As a serpent tempted her, and we saw last week how the serpent himself was challenging the goodness of God, challenging God's word, questioning the, the, the validity of God's word, even telling an outright lie concerning God's word. Now the woman is considering looking at the fruit and realizes that three things are true about this tree that God said they could not eat of. First, the tree was good for food. Secondly, it was pleasing to the eye. Third, it was desirable for what the Hebrew word is, sakal, which means not just gaining wisdom. It also carries the idea of to prosper or to be successful. And that will come into play in just a little bit. But if you look at this passage of Scripture, she saw all three things were true of this tree that God had said not to eat of. And, and so if you look back in chapter 2, verse 9, God had made all the trees in the garden pleasing to the eye. Look back in chapter 2, verse 9. What does it say? In chapter 2, verse 9, uh, we read these words. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. So God had made every tree pleasing to the eye and good for food. None of those things were being withheld from Adam and Eve. But this tree had yet another characteristic. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. She saw that it was good for food. But she also now knew because of the serpent's tempting that by eating it she might be different. She might be greater than she was. She was, as the serpent said, could become like God. She would gain the knowledge and the wisdom of God, but moreover, she was going to be, quote, successful like God. She was going to be like a God. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, let's be reminded that when Satan tempted Jesus, he first tempted Jesus regarding his hunger. Remember, Jesus had 40 days and 40 nights, he's in the wilderness, driven there by the Holy Spirit, by the way. He's in the wilderness, and Satan comes and says, you're hungry, aren't you? Look at all these rocks. I know you can turn them into bread. Just turn it into bread. You can feed yourself, and you won't be hungry. Of course, Jesus responded with Scripture. As you and I are given the same weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he just simply quoted to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. Did not satisfy his hunger, but he, with, he withstood that temptation. Of course, you know, then Satan tempted him about jumping off a temple mount, and the angels would miraculously rescue him, and he would, he would be a, a sight to behold. Everybody would see who he was. Well, this is that temptation about what would be pleasing to the eye. Miracles are pleasing to the eye. This is why people covet miracles so much. They're looking for miracles. Why? Because they want to see something. They, they want something that's pleasing to the eye. And, and there's a lot of people they want to live their life and even question and challenge the goodness of God if he won't give them what's pleasing to the eye. And then, of course, that third temptation of Satan to, 
Jesus was, if you'll just simply bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I will, I will make it easy for you. You will not have to suffer. You will not have to die on a cross. You'll just simply be hailed as king. In other words, it was the offer for success. It was the offer for dominion. It was an offer for power. And yet Jesus, in all three cases, quoted Scripture and defeated Satan. We read later on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, John is talking about the causes of sin. And, and as we look at how the, causes of, the cause of sin challenges the goodness of God, here's what John says about sin and its cause. He says, it happens as a result of cravings and desires. What is that? Desire for food. He said it happens because of the lust of the eyes. What does that mean? Pleasing to the eye. He says it happens because of boasting of what he has. That is, one obtaining wisdom and dominion and power and success and become godlike in our lives. You see, John was saying the exact same thing that Jesus encountered that Adam and Eve had encountered and Eve had, in, had given in to. And also Adam. You see, God's goodness is challenged by the cause of sin. There's so much about life that is good for food, that, that gratifies our appetites. And folks, none of these three things in and of themselves are sinful. Just because something is good for food, that doesn't make it sinful. Just because something is pleasing to the eye, that does not make it sinful. Just because somebody is wanting to acquire more knowledge and, and wisdom, the point is what we should be looking for is the wisdom of God. We should be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace and knowledge that comes as a result of His Word, the faith that God's Word produces. The problem is we are looking for that which is good for food. We're looking for that which is pleasing to the eye. We're looking for that which will enhance our lives and give us what we want outside what God has said. And therein is sin. I think about the things, for example, that are good for food. God has made things to be good for us out of his goodness the challenge is when we abuse that for ourselves when we go against the parameters which God has said there's plenty of things that God has created to gratify our appetites you know you only have two appetites uh, you have an appetite for food and you have an appetite for sex that's the two appetites that are created within the human body and if you think about the fact that people are out there trying to gratify their appetites, one of the things that they're doing is they're looking outside the parameters. God has set parameters, just like he did in the garden, on how we ought to live our lives. Unfortunately, there are people today who are taking that to an extreme, and therefore they sin against God. And then there's things that are pleasing to the eye. You know, I think about in the area, in the arena, for example, of human sexuality, I think about the fact that there are plenty of things that God intended for us to enjoy in life and one of them was that which we can enjoy as a husband and a wife that which we can enjoy in the parameters which God has set for that experience but the reality is people are trying to find all the other ways to gratify that and as a result they're challenging the goodness of God if God was really good he wouldn't want to keep you from anything that is so pleasurable something that is so good something that would that, that everybody says, this is, this is the way it should be. If, if it feels good, God should be about that because he's good. We also have that twisted about God's love. If God loves, he won't be against anything that involves, quote, love. The problem is 
God has set parameters. His word's clear about certain things. And when we go against that, we are challenging the goodness of God. Sin challenges the goodness of God. And so they challenge God's goodness because of restrictions as what they see is good for the body and pleasing to the senses. Uh, from time to time, I have people ask me about if it's wrong for them to appreciate, for example, beauty. A woman to a man, a man to a woman. They want to know where the line is between um, looking and lusting. Uh, I, I know there's been several occasions, but I can remember one in specific where I was with somebody. He was married. I was married. We're, <clears throat> we're playing golf, and there's a couple ahead of us. He was an older man. She was a younger woman. Uh, I'll just say that uh, she was wearing clothes that accentuated her attributes. And, and we're playing, and we've gone several holes, and all of a sudden I'm asked the question, what do you do about that? And my response is what I've generally given to a lot of people throughout the years, and that is, Lord, you did a good job on that. Let's move on. Because God never intended that you and I could not enjoy that which looks good. There's just boundaries that God has set, and we don't go beyond those boundaries. I was married, he's married. I don't know what she was and he was. I don't know what all that was. but <clears throat> I think that man had a lot of money, let's put it that way. But... God did not intend that we could not look at that which is pleasing to the eye. God did not intend we couldn't eat that which is good for food. God just said, if you'll do it my way, it will be good for you. And he does it out of his goodness. And those parameters that he has set is out of his goodness. And we challenge that goodness when we go beyond that. There's no sin in attraction. There's no sin in finding something desirable. But there is sin in disobeying God's Laws, God's rules, God's moral guidelines, His principles, and everything else that He has set in His Word that we ought to follow. Because sin is disobedience to God. That's the plain, basic, real definition of sin. We have come short of the glory of God and His call for perfection. Now, it was all three that led Eve to commit sin, but it could have been just one, it could have been just two, because the sin was not in it that was good for food. The sin was not in it that was pleasing to eye. God had made all the trees that way. It wasn't even what it was going to accomplish. It was the fact that God said, don't eat it, and she ate it. And Adam ate it. And the reality is, we need to be careful today that we don't twist the goodness of God by saying, well, if God is really good, He would want me to have this. He would want me to do this. He would allow this in my life. He, he would let this happen. You see, a lot of people today are saying it's good, and if it's good, a good God would want you to have whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever is good to the body, whatever is pleasing to the eye, whatever it means to be better than you are, successful, whatever, and if he doesn't want it, he's not good. And that's the basic challenge today to God's goodness when it comes to sin. Well, let's move on. God's goodness caused by the it's challenged by the causes of sin, but it's also contradicted by the consequences of sin. You see, God wanted Adam and Eve to have eternal life. So he put in there the tree of life, and they could eat of that freely. 
And God wanted them to have abundant life. He wanted them to enjoy life. And so he created all these different things for them to enjoy. The animals, the plants, the food that was there, everything about the garden, everything about God's creation was so that mankind could have a great pleasurable experience in life. God wanted that. It was the goodness of God that had created all of that. But Adam and Eve realized that God had withheld one thing from them, and of that one thing they partook, and suddenly things happened. As soon as Adam and Eve ate this, the Bible says they realized they were naked. Now in the South, we would use the word naked. But they were naked. They suddenly they could be, they, they realized that they were not as they were. They were no longer innocent. There was something about them that had changed instantly. But not only that, but they suddenly felt feelings they'd never felt before. Suddenly they were feeling shame. That's why they hid themselves. That's why they sewed for themselves fig leaves to cover themselves, because they suddenly felt shame. They suddenly felt guilt. They suddenly felt things that God had never intended them to feel, nor were they supposed to feel. They were feeling fear. They were fearful of God. They heard the voice of God in the garden, and they went and hid from Him. And they were afraid of God. And they had never been afraid of God before. Suddenly, everything about their life changed. That's what sin does. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. Now, initially, sin keeps us from God altogether. That's why Jesus came. That's why He suffered and died on the cross. That's why he made it a way for us so that we could have salvation. We could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in addition to that relationship, we could have daily fellowship. In other words, the Lord wants as much as possible while we're in this body and in this sin-cursed world to still enjoy the goodness of God if we will be willing to do what God says. But the goodness of God is contradicted by the consequences of sin because what happened? Well, when they sinned, they hid themselves from God. They were experiencing shame. They were experiencing guilt. They were experiencing fear. They had all these destructive feelings and emotions that they'd never had before. And yet, what a wonderful thing that our God went and looked for them. And that brings us to the third thing about God's goodness and, the call and sin, and that is God's goodness confirmed by the covering of sin. You see, God begins confirming His goodness by calling out to Adam and Eve where they were. He asked the question, where are you? And as I've said many times, when God asked the question, He's not asking it for His benefit. He knew exactly where Adam was. This wasn't hide and seek and God trying to find Adam. What God asked the question for was so God, Adam not only could hear Him ask that question, but Adam needed to know where he was. He wasn't where he would be. Normally, he'd be there waiting on God. And now he's hiding. Can I tell you that's what happens in our lives spiritually? When we sin, we want to hide from God. That's why people shut down. That's why people quit going to church, quit fellowshipping with believers. Why they quit reading God's Word. They stop praying. Why? Because there's sin, and that sin is driving them from God. It breaks that fellowship, and it causes them to have shame and guilt and have feelings like, well, well God will never take me back. I, I'm so bad. I can't believe I did this. I don't know what's going on. All kind of questions. All challenging the goodness of God. As we look at this passage of Scripture, God's goodness, though, was confirmed by the fact that He made a way for them. Now, how does God confirm His goodness? He confirms it even in judgment. 
Now to the serpent, no mercy is shown, no hope is offered. In judgment, there's a promise by, uh, uh, the theologians would call this the protevangelium, which simply means that this is the first statement in the Bible that God's going to do something about sin. When he talks about what happened to the serpent, when he tells the serpent that the offspring of the woman will attack your head and, and you will attack her heel, well, which one is the deadly one? It's not the strike to the heel, it's the, the crushing of the head. And so sin would strike at the heel of the seed of the woman, would constantly be there trying to injure, but ultimately it would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. It would be when Jesus Christ willingly suffered and died on the cross for our sins, and when he victoriously rose from the grave, the head of Satan was forever crushed. He is defeated. One of my favorite scenes in the movie The Passion of Christ is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's prayed and, and he has risen up and they're on their way to come arrest him and, and all of a sudden you see this snake slithering around in the, toward him and as it's coming to him he just takes his foot and he just stomps on that serpent. In reality that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's shows the goodness of God. Confirmed by the way in which God takes care of our sin. You see, for Adam and Eve, he did extend mercy, but judgment as well. They were cast from the garden. They had to work by the sweat of their brow. They had to live with a curse that had now come upon the ground because of them. Uh, the woman was going to have to deal with pain in childbirth and her desire for her husband, and ultimately both of them would experience physical death. Where's the mercy in that? Great mercy, certain mercy, free mercy. Why? Because there you also see God clothe them to take away their nakedness. The first instance of the Bible where blood is shed, God shed it. God killed the animal or animals that was necessary to clothe Adam and Eve. It's in my mind and others as well that I think it was probably an animal that was most special to them probably most precious. God chose that to be the one that would die and clothe them. You say, well, preacher, why do you say that? Because, see, when they observed Passover, the lamb that was to be slain and eaten by the family at Passover, they were to take that lamb into their home. They were, the kids would begin to pet it. You know how kids are. They want to name it. You know, uh, I remember when um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, chickens were going to be purchased by my family and, and uh one of the kids started naming the chickens. I said, don't name the chickens. We might eat it. <laughs> don't think about that. I had cattlemen over in Mary, and they had cows, and they wouldn't eat their cows. They sold their cows, bought somebody else's cow, killed it, and ate it. When I see cows, I see dotted lines. God took whatever was special to them killed it, and then clothed them with skins to show that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without the blood being shed, there's no covering. And, and our Lord's goodness, in the midst of their sin and even in the midst of their judgment, God provided a way and he made it possible for them to be properly clothed. Which, by the way, is what the Lord does for us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, turning from our sins and turning to the Savior he takes off of, our, uh, off of us our filthy rags, even our best righteousness, our best goodness, Isaiah says, are as filthy rags 
before the Lord. He strips us of all of that, and he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. That is the goodness of God. The goodness of God is confirmed by his willingness to cover and ultimately forgive and remove our sins. I have a question for you this morning. Have you experienced God's covering for your sins? Have you experienced his cleansing of your sin? Have you experienced his forgiveness of your sin? You see, that's the only thing that will take away sin. Not religion. That's just fig leaves. Not your goodness, not the good things you do in your life. How many people think that their goodness is going to outweigh their badness, therefore they'll get into heaven because there's more good in their life than bad in their life. You hear this all the time. There's nothing that's going to get your sins removed except the blood of Jesus Christ. And the goodness of God is confirmed in that our Lord was willing to do that for us and then offers it to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And it's His love that caused Him to do that. And his goodness. You see, the, the sin challenges the goodness of God. All, all aspects of it, whether it's the cause of sin, whether it's the consequences of sin, it all challenges the goodness of God. People are all the time saying, I can't believe a good God would let somebody die and go to hell. If you go to hell, it's because you rejected and refused Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you. You reject his love, you reject the goodness of God, and have chosen to do things your way. And I ask you the question again, have you experienced what God has done for you and for your sins? You know, today, instead of fleeing from God, as Adam and Eve did, in which all sinners do, we, we tend to flee. You know, the Bible says, seek the Lord in the days of your youth before the evil days come. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. But the reality is, sinful man does not seek God. But I am so grateful that God seeks us. And folks, that's the goodness of God. The fact that you have a Bible today, that's the goodness of God. That he spoke his words, had them written down, so that you and I today would know of him, about him, but we would also know how to live and how to experience the life God wants us to have. I remind you again, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That which was lost in the garden, the Lord wants you to experience. And ultimately, one day we will experience again. I'm so grateful that one day, Yet again, we're going to walk with the Lord where abundant, not just a few trees, or, but trees all along a river bearing their fruits all the time. And you and I will be able to enjoy that forever. Not because we're hungry, but just because it's a delight. Because of the goodness of God. Would you turn your back to that? Would you turn your back to abundant life and eternal life that Jesus purchased at the cost of his suffering and death. I pray not. I pray that today you will say yes to the one who suffered and died for you. I pray you'll say yes to the one who lives and can give you life. I pray you'll say yes to him and whatever it is, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for 
baptism, whether it's for church membership, whether it's to be involved vocationally in some work God has called you to do, whether it's just continually reaffirming and being submissive to his lordship in your life, whatever it is that you need to do, you need to respond to the goodness of God by saying yes to the one who everything he says for you to do is right and good. There are many things in this life that challenge and seemingly contradicts the goodness of God. But don't you realize from this story that those are all lies of Satan? Because God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. Say that with me. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. And folks, sin will always challenge that. But my prayer today is you'll come to a Savior who can turn your life into abundant life and will give you eternal life through Jesus. That's the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for...